I'm Biran Garhi, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to the moment where if they didn't laugh, they'd cry. So anyway, he's on the phone. He said, hello, how's it going there? Um, just ringing about the ad for the, the job for a carpenter. He said, I was just wondering, you know, what's the story? Where is it? And, yeah, I have experience, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he said, well, it didn't actually say in the ad to ring before a certain time. And you said, yeah, yeah. So your man was obviously good. It was about, I'd say, 20 past 10 on a Sunday night. And the next thing Eugene said, I am at the bottom of the stairs now. My hands joined, praying. And the next thing Eugene says, do you know what you can do with your job, he said. You can shove it as far up in your arse as it'll go. And I just went, oh, Jesus, Eugene, not the right answer. What are you doing? She doesn't see herself as very influential, but with 25,000 Instagram followers, I beg to differ. My mom, Claire Garrahy, is my guest this week. She talks to me about growing up in Bell Harbour, County Clare, how she dealt with the office bitch we all know well, and how retail therapy is great for the soul. I hope you enjoy. Claire Garrahy, you're extremely welcome to the last of your life. Thank you. Are you emotional? No, I'm nervous. <laughs> um... Shane here in Collaborative Studios, I was telling him a second ago that out of all of the guests I've had thus far on the podcast, you have been the biggest nightmare. <laughs> what do you mean nightmare? Because you have direct access to me. So you were ringing me and texting me being like, what's, what, what's the third question? What order are you going to ask the questions in? And then calling me over to the house being like, what are the quick fire questions? You can't cheat. I'm not cheating, but a woman of advancing years like myself, I need to be organised and I need to have them in order so that I know what answers to give <laughs> questions. Um, Mom, thank you very much for agreeing to do this, because not every mom would agree to No, and it. I hope you appreciate it. Thank you very much. I do, but I think the, I, I asked you because I want to give the people what they want. And they want to hear from you. Well, that remains to be seen. We'll see how this goes. Okay. Claire Gary. What is it? The comment, be careful what you wish for, comes to mind. It's <laughs> so true. Okay, are you ready, Mum? Yeah, go on. Tear into it. Your first memory of laughter. Okay, so I think I can actually go back to when I was in the cot. Inside in the cot? Inside in the cot. So, as you know, I grew up in Bell Harbour in County Clare. Um, I'm number three of seven. And we grew up in a very big, old, very cold farmhouse. We didn't have central eating. We had six bedrooms, we had fireplaces in each room that were never, fires were never lit. I think we just lit the fire in the sitting room at Christmas. But I remember one particular night being in the cot, in my mother and father's room. There were two other beds in the room. My older brother, Jimmy and Anne, were in the room as well. I think it was just we were all in together because there was just 13 months between Jimmy and Anne and 13 between Anne and I. And I remember standing up in the cot and being so cold and crying and whatever. And I remember my dad got up and he brought me into the bed. And I just remember, I don't know whether it was the warmth, the cuddles or the fact that I just achieved what I what I wanted. And just being in there, I just remember laughing and saying, yes, <laughs> cozy, cozy, <laughs> cozy, toesies <laughs> inside in the bed. So that was in Bell Harbour, County Clare. Yep. As you say, you're one of seven. Mm. What was it like to be the third of seven children? Yeah, it was it was grand. I mean, um, it was a farm. It was mixed farming, so there was a bit of everything. So um, we all had our jobs and we all did our bit, 
you know. Um, yeah, it was great memories, great memories. I have more memories of my of my younger years than I have of my teenage years because I went to boarding school in my teenage years when I was 13. So, but yeah, great memories on the farm, great memories of cousins coming home from America and playing soccer in the yard. And But it was hard going, you know. It was, it was, we always had our jobs. We came home from school. We walked, my dad drove us to school, which was two miles away. We, we, we walked home. Um, and we all had our jobs before we did our homework, you know. You have one story about... Um, I think it was playing hospital or nurse with the hens. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Tell that. Yeah, sure. We just grew up in the world of make-believe, as the three of you did, by the way. But um, yeah, Anne and I, we used to kind of play hospital and nurse. I remember my dad, we always had hens and chickens and pigs and calves and sheep and everything. But I remember we had, uh, my father got two Banton hens and a Banton cock. Now, they're like tiny little hens. And we used to play hospital, Anne and I, so... We used them as patients. So we put the two hens under a saucepan and so we put the cock under a bucket. Under we, a saucepan? Yeah, we turned the saucepan upside down and put them in. Oh, yeah. Like and they were our patients, you know. So we dressed up as nurse and doctor and we'd check on them every now and again. And anyway, it was a Saturday, I remember. And um, we just, we remembered Wanderley Wagon was on. So we went in to watch Wanderley Wagon. We, we forget the flipping hens. We'd be absolutely murdered for doing it now. But anyway... They died. Stop. Yeah, and you shouldn't have asked me about that question. We might have to cut that. It's very sad. Go on. So you went in, watched Wanderley Wagon and forgot about the hens and we cocks outside. We forgot about the, yeah. And you went out and they were stone dead. They were stone dead. But we did worse, actually. <laughs> we In the cow house, we used to have, if the cows had mastitis, you know, which was a condition, milking dairy cows caught, and there were syringes that my dad used to use to treat them. And those syringes would be, <laughs> be the, on the floor in the cow shed. So we used to inject them. The hens. No. Yeah. <laughs> but not. We wouldn't stick it into them. We'd put up their bums. It's kind of. As <laughs> if that's better. Like. <laughs> it wouldn't have hurt. You know what I mean. Anyway, go on, Darren. You should have asked me about that. I have other stories to tell. Oh, oh God. Okay, Claire Garrahy. Mm. The first time you felt laughed at. Yeah, I thought about that, and it didn't take me long actually. Now, as you know, there, and I came from a family of traditional Irish music. My dad is a concertina player, and like we grew up with a lot of traditional music in the house, and a lot of musicians calling. and And I remember when Anne and I were, I suppose, seven and eight, they decided that we should do Irish dancing. Maybe even younger, six and seven, five and six. I don't know. But Anne was an absolute natural. I mean, she was Jean Butler without the wavy arms. Like she was, she get the musical talent. I was a little bit more awkward and um, a bit more rounded than, than Anne. <laughs> like myself. Like yourself, yeah. Well, I didn't say that. So, but I remember, you know, neighbours would come in. Down the country, back, back then, you know, people socialised by going to each other's houses and we would often have neighbours coming in and there'd be a few tunes, whatever, and my father would say, Anne and Claire will dance for you. So I'd be, yeah, tear into it. But I remember they used to absolutely be glued to me and in stitches laughing. <laughs> and it was only, but I mean, the concentration there, I don't know if you remember, if you, did you do much Irish dancing, but I just remember the concentration and the absolute determination. And I remember this, it was driven into us. One, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three, five, two, three, six, two, three, seven, two, three, eight, two, three, hop, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, one, two, three, back to three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, one, two, three. I never progressed past <laughs> those steps, but I concentrated so much. I don't know whether it was my knee came up to hit my chin or my chin went down to hit my knee, but I used to get height and coverage in the kitchen. <laughs> 
And it was, and I used to think when they were laughing that, geez, I must be great. But it was only afterwards when I think I might have seen Joan Rogers or somebody doing this type of dancing, or maybe even Brendan Grace or something. And it suddenly dawned on me, Jesus, that's what they were laughing. <laughs> I was pure shite. Pure, well, yeah. Bessie Bunter. I mean, literally, the table would have to be moved for the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Back two, three. Anyway, that was my first memory of being laughed at. What was school like for you, primary school? Do you have m- many memories of it? Yeah, I have nice memories of it. Um, as I said, my dad used to drive us. We used to walk home. I remember always being dressed so well going to school. My mom, like, we, we we may not get new clothes for Christmas, but we always had new clothes for, for Easter. And it was, I know it sounds a bit snobbish, but it was, there wasn't an awful lot. If, whatever money was there was put back into the farm. But my mom had a great, she had a great eye for style and... She used to get Josie Woods, dressmaker in Ballyvaughan, to make our skirts. And there were pleated skirts with straps and there were buttons. So as you grew, you could change the position of the buttons and the straps. So oh, you got, yeah. got great juice out of what them. What happens if you grow out? Well, there was a button there at the side as well. <laughs> Actually, there might have been two buttons. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they were made, they were made for to last. Mm. And then she had a cousin who had a knitting machine and she used to knit cardigans. And there were and jumpers for us. And we used to be so excited and there'd be lovely colours. Now, we wouldn't have a lot, but, but they would be so stylish. And I remember going to school and feeling, you know, other people had lovely clothes too, but it was, I think ours was just, you know, it was, it was as I say, it was quality rather than quantity. And I remember we had no cousins growing up, actually. My father is the eldest of five boys. His four brothers immigrated. My mother had two sisters. They immigrated to the States. Um, and I remember I'd be fumed in school because I had no cousins. And when musicians or visitors would come to the house and they had kids, I used to say, will you be my cousin? Because <laughs> we literally had no Irish cousins. My mother had a brother as well, but he never married. But um, but I remember one thing I remember kind of sad about school. We used to get, because all those cousins were in America, we used to get parcels sent from America. And I remember the excitement when the parcels would arrive and the smell of the clothes. And they would always send their little coats. And we used to have lovely coats as well. But I remember I, where I went to school, there was two classrooms, two teachers. So you went up the steps in the door and it was kind of a hallway. And at the end of the, of the, the hall was a coal bunker where all the coal used to be kept. And literally the guy would come and tip the bags of coal in. And there were two stoves in each of the school, of each of the classrooms. And they would light the fire in the morning and we'd keep topping it up. But I remember coming out and it happened a couple of times. And our coats weren't on the hooks in the hall. And they would have been thrown into the coal bunker. Jazzy. Yeah. What? Yeah. Who did it, Claire? Can't say. Do you know? I do, yeah, because we'd be walking home and be there'd be older girls, you know, in the in the school and they'd be kind of giggling away at the fact that look at the coats now with the coat. You know what I mean? Oh my god. But we were well able first, you know, my mother just said, you know. Reveal who it was. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Claire Garhi. The moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. I have to look up my notes for that now. Sorry. <laughs> She's very stressed. Ah, uh, Claire. Oh, yeah. Sorry, just takes me a second there and I have to run my glasses. Um, yeah, I remember when uh, I met Eugene when I was 19, he was 21. Um, anyway, I remember he came to Dublin. I was in Dublin at the time and he came up and I was in a flat in Randall and he was in a flat in Drumcondra. And I remember... He was a carpenter by trade and I was working in the computers 
No, it wasn't actually. It was a different company that I wasn't. I was let anyway. We were both let go the same week. And I remember going down. We were going down to, to Clare at the weekend. My mum and dad knew her, and his parents knew we were coming. And Eugene said we won't bother going down because the petrol, whatever. And I said, no, Eugene, if we don't go down, they'll think there's something wrong. We better go. So we went down and we had a nice weekend. And he said, look, sure, we'll sort it out when we come back and we'll get something. And I remember he came over to collect me in Bell Harbour. And my dad used to always fill the boot. He'd say, bring a bag of potatoes with you. Bring carrots and parsnips. Bring and that particular time, I remember, I just wanted to keep him to fill the boot. Because I didn't know, yeah. you know. And I said to myself, well, at least we'll have potatoes, we'll have carrots, we'll have parsnips, whatever. So we're heading back anyway. And uh, I said to Eugene, that time we were coming back to the Galway Road. And I think it was Moat or somewhere. I said, Eugene, would you ever stop and go in and just get a paper and see if there are any jobs advertised? Jesus, we're heading back to Dublin. Nick. We've a small little bit on reserve in the bank account, but we need to get something sorted. So he went in anyway and he had a quick look and he said, yeah, there's a carpentry job advertised. So I said, great, please God. So anyway, we arrived back to my flat in Randall and he came in and I was on the ground floor. And halfway up on the first landing, there was a phone, black phone, press button eight. You know those, mm. you don't remember those phones. But he said, I said, go on up now and ring. So he went up anyway, and I was sitting at the bottom of the stairs, and I was saying, Sacred heart of Jesus, now let this work out at least, you know, he'll get something, and then I'll get something. So anyway, he's on the phone, he said, hello, how's it going there? Um, just ringing about the ad for the, the job for a carpenter. He said, I was just wondering, you know, what's the story, where is it? And Yeah, I have experience, whatever, yeah, yeah. And he said, next thing I heard was silence, and he said, well, it didn't actually say in the ad to ring before a certain time. And you said, yeah, yeah. So your man was obviously good. It was about, I'd say, 20 past 10 on a Sunday night. And the next thing Eugene said, I'm at the bottom of the stairs now. My hands joined praying. And the next thing Eugene says, do you know what you can do with your job, he said. You can shove it as far up in your arse as it'll go. And I just went, oh, Jesus, Eugene, not the right answer. What are you doing? So he came down, he banged on the phone and he said, Prick, I'm after wasting my whatever. I'm after wasting whatever the cost of the call was. I think he was pressing button B to try and get the money back on the phone, <laughs> which you could do if you didn't get through, but of course he had got through. But he came down the stairs and I just looked. I said, Eugene. And then we just burst out. <laughs> I wanted to cry, but what could you do? That was the moment for me that if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. I love it. Yeah. Um, and you lived in Ranla and he lived in Drumcondra. Drumcondra. Mm. Um, and you're now part of a golfing group yeah. called the VBs. Yeah. Do you want to explain where the name for that comes from? Not really. Well, if you don't explain it, I will. Right, so there are 10 of us um, and we're called the Virgin Bride Golf Society. <laughs> Go on. So there's no more to tell. No, we're there is. There, <laughs> there is something to tell. So what, you were all Virgin Brides is what you're trying to claim. Yeah, we've been together 12 years. We are all totally different uh, we were from different walks of life um, and we get on so well um, we have such great times we go away in the spring to Spain or somewhere to play golf and we meet up a couple of times during the year just socially and then we go away in the autumn someplace in Ireland and we stay and we have the crack and they are just a super bunch of people but isn't there someone in the group who actually wasn't a virgin bride but y'all will never reveal who it was well I often say in company that the jury's out in one or two but we, we'll, we'll go to the grave <laughs> okay Claire yes next question yes your no laughing matter moment in life can we pause for a second let me look at my notes sorry this is all staying in by the way <laughs> um 
Oh, yeah. I just have a few of those. Go on. Yeah, well, as you know, Darren, um, when you were kids, like it was all go. We were always busy. There was always something going on, you know. Um, we had our own business. We usually did a lot of charity work. Um, I did a lot of committee work. And there was a time where um, the wheels fell off. I just did too much. You remember that. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a nice time. And um, we got, I got over it just, you know. How do you mean the wheels fell off? I was just exhausted, burned out, you know. And I just remember going to the doctor and he says, you know, it's, he said, what have you been doing? And he said, and he summed it up. He said, you know, the merry-go-round? He said, you were on that. You were flying around. And basically you fell off. But we just need to put you back on. So he said, you need to do this, this and this. And that was grand. So that was one. Um, the other one was when we closed the company. That was difficult. Um, I mean, the staff were like family. We were at their weddings. And that was hard. Mm. It was 26 years of blood, sweat and tears yeah, for you and dad. Yeah, yeah. And like, it was no fault of ours. I have to say that. And sometime I'm going to talk about this in more detail, but just not now. But um, yeah, we worked hard. Eugene looked after the clients. I looked after the finances. And I never thought it would happen, you know. And um, I remember one of you sent me in the card that, you know, a couple of years beforehand. Will, will we be OK? And I said, yeah. So, you know, we never let it grow too big that we couldn't manage it. Um, and we had great clients. And Eugene was held in such high regard with the guys that he, you know, did the contracts. And we did a lot of semi-state work. And we never thought that the bailout would happen and that, you know, their budgets would dry up. But it did. And it was difficult. But you know what? You know, one door doesn't close without another opening. And I've had such great times, you know, doing what we've been doing since. And... um yeah, that was that. But you know what my... What was the question again? No laughing matter. Yeah. yeah I kind of had a no laughing matter moment there recently. And it was kind of the notion that I'm not going to live forever. Oh my God, Claire. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. When I was a kid, when I was young, you know, if one of your friends, anything happened to one of your friends' parents, whatever, you began to oh God, what if that happened to me? And then I used to think, well, no, my mum and dad are there. My mum's parents are still there. My granddad is still there. So this is like a million years down the road. We'd be fine. And then, you know, in more recent years, I thought, I should wear a grand. My dad, I I still have my parents, you know, and he's going to be 95 on Saturday. My mom is 13 years younger. She's 82. And then it suddenly dawned on me, Jesus, they're the exception. They're not the rule, Mm. you know. And when you hear of like people much younger than my parents passing and even people our age passing. And then I kind of go, this really is a no laughing matter moment when when and I remember saying it to Eugene he says is it only now that's done on you and I said yeah because like this I mean we were always a family of memories as you know like we made memories and Eugene and you know if it wasn't Fusion, we probably wouldn't have made them because I would be more I know we can't be spending that Eugene said ah we fucking spend it it'll be grand mm. and I would like to think that we have so many more memories to make of course we do and when I see Leavon and well I mean Honora how could I say Leavon not say that <laughs> You know, and, and hopefully there's so many more memories to make. And, and, and um, yeah, that was a kind of a no laughing matter moment when I kind of had the reality Where check. were you? What you, were you doing? I you was pottering around the kitchen. Where else would I have been? Something like that. I just thought, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I just heard, my mum would always ring me if someone passes away. You know, the usual thing down I the country. Tell you get who the call. Who's dead? Or who had their toe <laughs> amputated or whatever. <laughs> okay, mom, mm. the person you always laugh with. 
Well, see, I, that's a difficult one, Darren, because I consider myself so lucky when it comes to... I mean, there's no shortage of laughter in my life. There never has been. Um, you know, my my dad, actually. I, I, I have a great laugh with him when I'm on my own with them. You know, I think I kind of inherited his his gift of embellishment of a story. You know, he never he never holds it back. Like, mm, and he, and we know that part. But all you, right. you understand that part. <laughs> so my, my dad, I mean, my, my own family, like... Um, my two sisters, Anne and Caroline, we have a great laugh. Two of my brothers have a great laugh. Two of them now would be hard enough. Not <laughs> lest anyone thinks we're the perfect family, but two of them would be difficult enough to have laugh. But but but, and I won't mention which two. But um, my family, yeah, we we have good laughs. Um, our own family. I mean, the five of us together, we have such crack. I mean, you, dear. I mean, you always bring. I mean, from the day you were born, like, it's just been one constant laugh. Um, and the VBs, we have great laughs. Um, and, you know, I often say to you and the girls, you know, and I think you quote me at the BO events, you know, if you're lucky in life, you'll have one, two very, very close friends. And the rest are, they're friends, but they're more acquaintances, you know. Uh, but I am so lucky in that I have what has to be the best friend anyone could have. And it happens to be your godmother. <laughs> It's Ger Dempsey. I mean, Ger and I, we know each other, what, 30 odd years? Well, 34. We, we met on our honeymoon. Our honeymoon. Ian and Ger weren't married. They were away in a dirty <laughs> holiday. She wouldn't pass for the Virgin Bride Society anyway. Oh, she came in for saying, for saying this. But we were actually on our honeymoon when we met Ian and Ger. Uh, but Ger, Ger doesn't live in Castlenock. I don't see her every week. Ger lives in Sutton. I live in Castlenock. Um, but I know she's there and you know we she's always the one you know when anything happens with any of you guys in a, an article or an interview or whatever the text comes from Jer um, and she she's on that journey with me you know we meet for coffee maybe once a month we have six kids between the two of us uh, we go through the trials and tribulations and there are times when we really should be crying but we end up laughing mm. you know and I just love her to bits She's one of those gems in life who does not judge. No. Never, ever, ever, ever judges. And the other thing is, you could tell her a secret and she would go to the grave. And she'd say to me, Claire, I won't even tell Ian, in case he lets it slip. <laughs> in case he lets it slip. Yeah. No. Okay. We were supposed to choose one person. So if you were to choose one, that's her. That's her. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Claire, a time where you had the last laugh. Yeah. I know you always say and don't tell me you're not the last laugh. Well, I am very much the last laugh. As in you like to have the last laugh? I like to have the last laugh. <laughs> well, if I'm hard done by, or if yeah. somebody says something about you that's not true, mm. I read right to a bull. Yeah. But anyway, I'll try and tell this as quickly as I can. But it was go- going way back when I came to Dublin first, and I I was, like that time I talked about, when it was a recession in the 80s, and like you were let go, you were taken on, you were lost, you know. But I remember signing up with um, an employment agency, I think it was Marlborough Employment at the time, and if people needed somebody kind of in a short term, they would contact them. And do you understand what I mean? Mm. And they would f- send you off out there. So I had registered with this employment agency and they placed me in this company. And I mean, my background was kind of accountancy. I mean, you know, I did the course I did were kind of accountancy um, orientated, that the word. But anyway, this particular job was kind of a receptionist job. And I did have a certain amount of reception skills, but not I wasn't great. Like I had 40 words a minute. Anyway, there was a girl there um, and I was supposed to be helping her. 
And can I tell you, she was not the nicest person. Mm. Um, she had very, very, I, the, the, the space was tight. We were kind of sharing a desk and the space was tight. She had very, very long dark hair that she didn't wash half as often as it needed to be washed. <laughs> and she would give me this, the hard stuff to do that she knew I wasn't going to be able to deliver on, you know. Mm. And I'd be there and I'd be in a sweat trying to type out the stuff. And the next thing I would get a wallop of her hair into my face. Oh, gross. Like being hit by a cow's tail now, or a wallop of a cow's tail when, when you're milking a cow, which I did, by the way, back in the day. But anyway, she wasn't a bit nice. And I remember there was this animal of a machine in the corner. It was a telex. Did you ever hear of a telex? No. It was prefax. But like, you know, in the crown now, you know, those machines where the, the tape prints out and you oh, just have to yeah. try and... And there was a way of just transferring whatever came out in the tape into text. I hadn't a notion. And when one of the directors of the company would come down, she'd say, Claire, could you send that text? Not text, te- uh, telex. Mm. I hadn't a clue. She'd always make a show of me. There was other stuff as well. She sent me off one day with the boss. She was kind of a PA. And she sent me off with one of the director's bank cards. I had never been to a bank machine in my life. And it was where that hotel is now in um, Westmoreland Street. It used to be AIB. She sent me off with this bank card to withdraw money. She gave me she gave me one card and she gave me the code of a different one. The Western? She, yeah. That used to be AIB in the corner. She gave me one bank card and she gave me the code of his other card. And sure, I didn't even read the thing. She had swallowed up the card. I came back with no card. But she was, and she did those things yeah, on purpose. On, on purpose. But anyway, yeah, but I, 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 anyway, I just couldn't bear it. But anyway, I just decided on one. And you went from week to week, you know, the, the, one of the directors was a lovely man, Gordon. He would say, um, are you OK for next week? Will you come back to us? And I just said, no, I, I just, I, I, I knew I had to come back because I had nothing else. But I said, I just pretend I had an interview. So anyway. I said, well, yeah, I'd love to come back and thanks so much. But I said, I might be a bit late on Monday morning. And he said, I said, because I have an interview. And he said, and I'll never forget. He said, does that mean we could lose you to somebody else? And I said, well, I really would like to do accounts type work. And this is kind of the, and if I was lucky enough to get it, I would. And he said, OK. He said, come back up to me in half an hour. He was on the first floor. So I went up and he said, Claire, I'd like you to come to work for us full time in the accounts department. And I'll train you in on the accountancy. They, they, they were it was a software company and they did manufacturing financial distribution packages. And he said, I'll train you in on the financial packages, train you in on the payroll and you can do the payroll for the company. There were 100 employees. So I thought, oh, my God, this is brilliant. I'd be away from your woman, be the end of the hair in the face every half, five minutes. So anyway, he did train me in. And that month, at the end of the month, I did the payroll. And back then, there was a big computer room and it printed out the gyros and it printed out the the, the pay slips. And the computer room was right beside the reception area, right? And a message would come up on the screen. Uh, you're about to print your gyros and pay slips. Lock the stationary room door for security. Oh, wow. Wow, in case anyone would see, would see what anybody was on, right? Yeah, yeah. So I remember I, I, I just opened the door into reception. I said, sorry, excuse me now. I'm just going to lock the door here for security. And she was fumed. Because not alone was like kind of... Do, and she was in a relationship with one of the directors who was way older. Oh, which, yeah. So not only was I going to be handing her her pay slip, I was going to be giving her his as well because he travelled a lot. <laughs> So anyway, I locked the door. You're I, a psycho. Well, I melted there. I just, and a couple of times I said, sorry, did you hear me there? Sorry, sorry. Just in case anybody's trying to get in here, I'm actually doing the payroll run now and I need to lock the, security, the stationary door for security. I'll be with you in a moment. 
And I went out there and I took the greatest. She nearly took the hand off me. She said, can I give you that as well? That was her partner. And I'm kind of going up the stairs and saying, don't you ever swish your hair in my face again. Oh, got a woman. Or make a show of me with the telex machine in the corner. Anyway, that was the time I had the last laugh. Love it. I love it. One time, I could tell you a few more, but we won't have time for oh, them now. we won't have. No. Okay, moving along. Claire, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? Sure, I'd have to say golf, wouldn't I? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I'm disappointed in you. I thought you'd have something juicier. Well, I don't know. You know, there's a competitive streak in me, as you know. And um, I just love to play tennis until the hip wore down. Um, I loved tennis and I now love golf. And I never thought I would because after playing the tennis, you think, oh, God, like, how am I going to go down and hit a ball, walk up to it and hit it again? But I got bitten by the bug. I absolutely love it. But it's not just the game and being out in the fresh air and the exercise. It's just the social aspect of it. And just being involved in a club, you know. And club, by definition, is something to which one belongs. And I would encourage everybody, if they can, at some stage, you included, get back to playing your tennis and get back to Castlemagh Tennis Club. At least once a week, mom rings me and says, would you just come down and have a knock up with me? And I guarantee you'll want to join again. Yeah. Well, I was actually, I got to see it the other night. I know, you went for your physio, yeah. It's fab. Castlemagh Tennis yeah, Club. Yeah, I'm fumed about that as well. I wanted to bring you down. Anyway, you saw it without me bringing you down. But yeah, so golf is. The other thing, of course, as I said, but the, but going back to the club thing, I would encourage everybody, if you can, just become a member of some club. And I'll tell you, it's only when something happens that you realise how blessed people can be to be part of a club. How do you, you know? mean something happens? Like if somebody loses somebody, if there's a bereavement, if they fall into hard times, just the whole club spirit, just to be able to go down and meet up and chat and talk it through and have a coffee. Have a coffee. Yeah. Um, it's just, and I suppose coming to Dublin, usually and I, when we came up, like we knew nobody, nobody. I remember Avian went to Montessori school and I remember, like we used to go to Mass Castle Knock and we knew nobody. And I remember the first birthday party invitation that came in the door for Avian. Huge and I jumped around the kitchen and we said, oh my God, people know we're here. Not alone did they want, well maybe they didn't want us at the party, obviously they didn't. But the fact that they wanted Avian to yeah. go to their party, do you know what I mean? I know. And we got to know so many people through the clubs, the, ten- the tennis club and the golf club and... Yeah, I just love it. I love, you know, it's, you know, the golf, the golf mightn't always be great, but the crack afterwards, you know, is great. And Th- the other thing, sorry, retail therapy. So you'd have to. I was just about to say, I, I was about to say, that's a lovely <clears throat> answer, but I'm surprised you didn't say retail therapy or cleaning your house. You love to clean, Mum. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a kind of a bit of a neat freak. I, and I'm a perfectionist. I do, well, I don't love doing it, but I love when it's done. I love standing back and admiring it, you know. Um, there's, a, there's a reason Alva has a love for the Blanchetown Shopping Centre. I think she got it from you. Yeah. What is it about retail therapy that you love? Well, you know, I don't even, it's an awful thing to say there, but I, and I, I have said it to you guys before. What I think is, you know, if something gets you down or someone does something to you, you know, there was a time and for years there would be steam coming out my ears and that gets you nowhere. And then it suddenly dawned on me, you know, when you, I mean, I'm loving to bits, but half the time she drives me mad, he does things around the house. Freaking, you know, you buy him a Gantt jumper like and he wears it going down to play golf. Do you know what I mean? Mortal, I, mortal sin. Yeah, and then we're going out for dinner and he takes out a golf shirt and he comes down the stairs thinking he's gorgeous. He does stupid things like that. Do you know that, you know, daft things. You know, I mean, when we went in and bought the suit for Alva's wedding, I said to him, do you know what you'll do now, Eugene? Wear that tomorrow morning when you're going down to Doolan Pier to get meet the boats coming in. Because I thought, if I, if I say don't do it, if I say do it, he won't. Reverse psychology. Yeah, but that, that, these are small examples of things that 
you know, people in life do it to drive you mad. And, and there's no point in getting fumed. What works for me is to say, I feck it, I'll go and buy myself <laughs> And I'm always there to help as well. She works with dad now. and she, Treat yourself. Treat yourself. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes she says, oh, you know, she, and she's getting, like, don't get me wrong. It's most of the time it's brilliant. And we reap the rewards of the hard work. But sometimes when you're working that closely with somebody, they can drive you. And I'm sure I drive him mad as well sometimes. And I won't tell him where the checkbook is because I know he's going to go off and write checks that aren't due to be written or whatever. But uh, yeah, so, and it, I love I love when he has that these scenarios with Alva now because it means that Alva feels my pain, you know, it's what it's like. And then I go in and I say, Alva, go up to Blanche, treat yourself. <laughs> That's the way we deal with it. Don't be letting yourself get all hot and bothered and steamed up. Because you know what they say about frowns? You know, it takes, I think if you smile. It's two muscles or something. Two muscles. Frowning is something like 30 something. And you end up with wrinkles. So avoid all that at all costs. A bit late for me now, but anyway. We won't dwell. Okay, Claire, are you ready for your quick Oh, one other thing. All right. What was the question again? If, if laughter, laughter wasn't yeah, A walnut whirl. Oh, yeah. Jesus, you can't be at a walnut whirl. Throw it into the basket. You know when you do the big shop and then you're saying, oh, jeez, I have to lug this home now and I have to bring it in, put it away. If you see the walnut whirl on the shelf, throw it into the basket. <laughs> Good luck and thanks. Are you ready for your quick fire round? No, I have to get my notes for that now because I can't remember. Go on. Claire, this is supposed to be a surprise. You're not supposed to know what these are. You've obviously listened to my sure, other I've podcast. Sure, I've heard a few Which is a good thing, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Claire. Uh, the movie you always laugh at. Well, I went to see Downton Abbey with Avian. Love it. I just love everything about it. But I just love Maggie Smith. Legend. A legend. And I have to say, they're in her comic timing. Her, just, the, you know, the one-liners. Just her delivery of them. And I have to say, every time I look at her, I can see you down the road playing a role like that because I think you'll be every bit as good as Maggie Smith and she has to be the best in the business oh thank you no problem okay the actor or actress you always laugh at Will Farrell. <laughs> you love Will Farrell. I do Ron Burgundy yeah excellent uh, the book you always laugh at Maeve Binchy anything she's written anything she's written she has an unbelievable gift a gift of observa- observation and but you have that too you know um a gift of observation and just the way she describes situations. I love the way she's choosing world-class people and being like a bit like yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the comedian you always laugh at? Pat Short. Um, we've been, I remember just going to all the shows, the Unbelievables. And I remember, I think, I used to laugh more at Eugene laughing at Pat Short <laughs> than I laughed at Pat Short myself. I mean, and we, I remember we went a couple of times with Ian and Jerry actually. And I remember Ian giving up the seat on the outside to give Eugene space. Because if there was ever a time when I would have felt that Eugene is very close to cardiac arrest, it would be a patch shot. I mean, he would swing the two legs out in the aisle. His head would be down between his knees and he would be buckled up with the laughing. Literally on the floor. On the floor. We'd have to give him space. And then, of course, the, the videos at Christmas. The telly and the jelly and custard. She can't. The robbery. Do you remember that? Yeah. She can't. Where's what the custard? What do I go custard without the what shag and jelly? She can't have custard without jelly. Oh, Jesus. The tights over his head. Like I always said myself to be a lovely little country if I could only roof. That's funny the way you, that's funny, Mum, that you say that you almost laugh more at Dad watching. It's like at Christmas. We love watching Grandad Chris watching Mrs. Brown's Mrs. Boys. Mrs. Brown's Boys. 
We put it on so we can watch him watching it. It is so hilarious. And I mean, the episodes he's probably seen a hundred times already. There's one of, of she goes up on top of the Christmas tree and he's there. It oh, spins Jesus, she's gone up on top of the, she's gone up she, on top of the Christmas tree. You can't see Brendan O'Carroll in it at all. Uh, no, 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 no. He's 95 this Saturday. Yeah, and he loves her cardigans and the way she puts the hanky into the pocket. And he's still driving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a bit worried you know, a couple of weeks ago because his um, driving license was expiring. And he would always ring me when he was kind of things on his mind and I said I should be grand you know so he went anyway and he did the eye test and whatever other tests and then he rang me the next day you're not going to believe it didn't they renew it for three more years <laughs> unreal <laughs> okay finally mum your best or worst joke right so I think this is one I stole from Eugene way back um, from the days of the building site so these two lads went into a building site they were labourers and they were back in the recessionary times they were looking for a job so and anyway, the foreman was there and they went up and one of them was kind of the spokesman. He said, we're looking any chance at the start. And he said, well, he said, I'll have to ask you a question. He said, you know, you need to have a certain kind of um, standard of intellect. He said, um, so he said, he said, if you're OK with, he said, yeah, yeah. So he said, one night, he said, you stand over there. So he said, it's easy enough. He said, um, five and five. And says, ten. He said, yeah, that's grand. He said, send your friend over. He said, that'd be grand. So... The friend wasn't as bright anyway, so he went over and he said, what, what did he ask you? He said, will you help me with this? He said, you know I'm no good. So he said, it's grand. He said, he just says to me, five and five. She said, just answer. He said, it's ten. She answered, okay, grand. So he went over and he straightened himself up to the foreman. The foreman says, six and four. She answered, oh, Jesus. Six and four? He said, yeah, six and four. He said, I don't know. He said, come on. He said, six and four. He said, I haven't a clue. The man said, well, look, I'm sorry. He said, I can't give you the job. He said, he said, six and four is ten. So your man picked up the shovel and he hit your man over the head and he says, you're a fucking liar. Five and five is ten. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's say a bad word. You I'm are. Anyway. This is the podcast. You're allowed to curse any amount of times you like. <laughs> How did you find that? Grand. It flew, actually. Is that it? Brilliant. Claire Garhi, thank you so much for sharing with me the laughs of your life. Thanks for having me there. And a happy Christmas. And many happy returns to yourself. And thank you for cooking the dinner every year. Yeah, well, you better help me this year. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Theron Garrahy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios. Thank you.